Hope you had a good week so far, and they call this hump day, so we're at the top and headed back down. <laughs> but I hope that the second part is even better than the first part, if God will give us some more days. We have some people who are sick that we want to remember in our prayers. Some of these might be new to you, you haven't heard about yet, but we want to remember them, that their special requests. One is Nellie Caldwell. This is Joyce Morgan's sister-in-law. She lives in Vicksburg. She's at St. Dominic's Hospital in Jackson. She had a very light stroke last Friday and is again having some stroke-like symptoms. You probably know them. Some of you do. Her and her husband, Dean, are members of the Bypass Church where he serves as an elder. They're asking us, please remember Miss Caldwell in our prayers. A lot of you have been asking about Ben, and Ben had his stent procedure, and he's doing great. Now, after the procedure, he had to lie on his back for several hours. I don't know if you've ever had to do that before, but if you're not accustomed to doing it, that is a torturous thing. <laughs> so he's suffering from some pain as a result of that, but they got him up out of the bed at 5 o'clock today to stir around and make sure everything's okay. Maybe that will help relieve some of the, the tension that's in his body from being down so long. And if everything goes well, the expectation is that he'll return home tomorrow. So please keep the Roberts in your prayers. And also, Jerry Ligon had cataract surgery yesterday. He's doing great, and if all goes well with that one, which seems that it is going well, then he's expecting to have the second one next week. So please remember these in your prayers. And, you know, we have a lot of people that are in the bulletin. So I encourage you to get that and keep them in your prayers and praying for recovery for everybody. A lot of you have been getting those shots. And I know several have already had their second one or probably getting it this week. So very thankful that we have that resource and I hope that you do well with it. We're going to sing a song together, number 598. After we sing the song, we'll have our prayer and remember these folks in that prayer. And then after that, we'll begin our study together. 598. Day by day, and with each passing moment, sweet and kind to meet my child's here, trusting in my Father's life's bestowment, I have a cause for worry or for fear. Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings today, which have been many. And Lord, I, I just pray that 
if we haven't done it already, that we'll stop once in a while and just assess the good things that you've done. Lord, many in this building here have been sick with the current virus or other things, and now we're well and able to assemble, and we're thankful for that. And we're praying for those who are as yet ill or are dealing with illnesses and having struggles or have had surgery or injury. We're praying that that everybody who's a concern of ours, if it's your will, that they'll recover and be back with us again. It is, it is such a blessing to enjoy fellowship, to be together in person. And I pray that soon that's going to be possible for all of us. Lord, we think especially about uh, those folks that I mentioned a moment ago that are recent additions to our prayer list and, and who have some very current issues. We pray for Sister Caldwell that these new symptoms that she's experiencing, that they can be remedied and whatever's causing the disruption for her, I pray, Lord, that she'll get relief and her health will return to her. I pray for Ben Roberts as he's recovering from his stent surgery and we're thankful, Father, that his surgery wasn't more extensive. We're thankful that there is a remedy for the problem that he had. And we're just praying that everything goes well and he's able to come home tomorrow as he had hoped. We also pray for Brother Jerry as he's had cataract surgery. We pray that it's going to go well, that, that all the components of that are working and that his sight will be restored fully. And I pray not only the success for this surgery, but for next week as he has surgery done on his other eye. And I just pray success in, in both cases. Lord, we're trying to be a healthy and functional group of people here that can be used by you to reach our community. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give us success in that. Help us to be a, a true beacon here. Lord, help us to understand some of the things that we must do as a church body. And then that we'll be committed to being those things and, and accomplishing them to your glory. Help me, Lord, tonight that I can share the things I've studied with these students and help them to be able to accept it and to learn from it and, and to know that we're all in it together. And thank you for that, that this journey that we're on is not a, a, a single Terry type journey, but that we're going with, with lots of people that love us and want to see us be successful. Thank you for the encouragement that that means. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are talking about those things that a church must do. Not that they should do. These are things that we have to be committed to doing. We started last week talking about the importance of discipling. Not only just of trying to gain disciples, but of being a disciple ourselves. So understanding the importance of our relationship to the Lord and then having the commitment as a disciple all in with all that we are and all that we have, then doing our very best to influence others that, that they too will see the value in discipleship and they will strive to be disciples too. Tonight we're going to talk about being prepared, about how important it is to prepare ourselves. Now, you already know that preparation in just about every area is important. I heard the noise of ball players as I left my automobile and walked across the parking lot to come in this building. Those young people didn't just show up 
to play a game. They've been preparing for months and months. Some of them actually at the collegiate level have been preparing themselves for what seems like a lifetime. Working over all that time, developing skill, they're able to compete and hopefully win in the competition. It just takes a lot of preparation to do that. If you went to the doctor recently, many of you have seeking a shot, you know that it was quite a process to come up with this vaccine. And several companies have developed vaccines and depending on where you live in the country, you get one or the other. But understand, they didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, we got it. It's not like it used to be on Gilligan's Island. You remember, anytime there was a sickness, the professor could whip up a vaccine in about, well, in 10 minutes for the episode, and everybody would be okay. That's not how it really works. It takes a lot of preparation, a lot of time, trial and error, in order to get the vaccine just right, and then to distribute it. That's true with surgeons. If you need surgery, like Brother Ben needed surgery, the stent placement, you don't just show up and they grab somebody out of the waiting room and say, hey, Ben needs a stent. Anybody know how to do that? Somebody says, well, I work on tractors. I probably can do it. We wouldn't rely on that, right? We want somebody that is trained who has prepared themselves, again, like the ball player, practically a lifetime, who knows exactly what to do. And then we are, well, at least for those few moments in the surgery, we are laying our life on the line in confidence that they prepared themselves well enough to do the surgery and to promote our health. If you're a soldier and you're going into battle, you know that the person opposite you is trying to take your life. You, in turn, are going to try and protect your life. You don't just show up one day and you're a soldier. You go through training. You learn how to use the weapons that are at your disposal. You become efficient in some discipline so that you can contribute to the overall good. Now, you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, have the most important work to do in the whole world. And that is to share the gospel with lost souls in such a way that will not necessarily offend them with the message, but that they will respond to it and be saved. That's, that's what I hope will happen. Now, invariably, you're going to run into people who are predisposed to reject the gospel for lots of reasons. But our hope is that I won't be the problem, that I'll be able to present the unadulterated truth of God and that it will be effective in leading another person to the truth and ultimately belief in Jesus as the Son of God and then obedience to the gospel, having their sins washed away. That is my hope. But to get to the point where I am efficient enough, capable enough to present that message in such a way as to result in the salvation of a soul, in order to get to that place, just as it is true in every other discipline, it ought to also be true that I have to prepare myself for that. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I ought to do what's necessary to prepare myself so that I can share the gospel with somebody else. Now, there are basically two things that I need to do in order to get myself prepared. The first one of those is I've got to take some wholesale inventory spiritually. I've got to prepare myself spiritually. Now, when I say prepare spiritually, I'm talking 
a lot about my motivations, what it is that would cause me to reach out to somebody and present the gospel to them. I'm talking about the kind of devotion or commitment that I have to the task and then really the kind of life that I'm living before others so that just an examination of me doesn't turn them away. Well, let's think for a minute first about the idea of being motivated. What are the things that would motivate me to want to share the gospel with somebody? What is it that motivates me to reach out? It could be that I just have this passion within me to see a soul saved. It is just like, I, I, I have benefited from someone sharing that truth with me, and I see so much value in that for me, spiritually, ultimately going to heaven, or the, the better life that I'm able to live now. So much so that I see that value, and I want to expend what I have with someone else. I want to see them do the same thing. That'll bring me joy. I think about the Apostle Paul. Now, get this setting. The Apostle Paul, generally speaking, was given the commission to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. That, that did not exclude if the opportunity presented itself that he might present the gospel to the Jews, because many times he did. There were Jews and Gentiles oftentimes in the mix. But Paul had a special commission to go basically as a missionary into the outer reaches of the known world in order to present the gospel to lost people. But he had a passion within him such that he never forgot where he came from and the, the people that not only the Lord had sought out first, but the people that he had originally been invested in. And, and listen to this as a motivation from Romans chapter 10. Beginning at verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, the book of Romans has within it an entire description of, of all that the Jews had had invested in them and how that they had rejected it. And then how God has extended himself to the Gentiles. And, oh, look, I'm doing that work and I'm carrying it. But, but look at the passion that's in him. Look at the motivation that drove the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, look, I know how people are. I know the kind of things that they do and the excuses that they offer up. And I'm just telling you, as regards my own people, and by extension, everybody else for that matter, my heart's desire and my prayer for them is that they be saved. Now, don't miss that. Yeah, I'm praying for the lost. But the first thing he said was, it's my heart's desire it wasn't just a thing where he said, you know what, this year, this year I think I want to convert 30 people. It wasn't like that. It wasn't target-oriented. Paul's goal was to save whomever and how many ever. I have a desire in my heart, Paul says. Now that's quite a motivation, right? And I love the way that this fleshes itself out because... He had a primary responsibility, carry the gospel to the Gentiles. But his own people, that was a heart's desire as well. That might be true for you as a disciple of Jesus. When I start thinking about the people that I want to teach the gospel to, sure, sure, I want to teach the people who are here in Boonville. I want to meet people at the grocery store and somehow that lead into a Bible study. I have had lots of Bible studies that way. But you know what? There is a heart's desire in me. There are people in my own family or close friends or neighbors that as much as there is a general, a general idea of the people I want to reach, there are some very specific folks that if I didn't save anybody else, those are the ones I would want to be saved. I feel invested. And it's, well, like Paul said, it's my heart's desire and prayer that they would be saved. 
Part of that also, the motivation aspect, is that, look, God's done this wonderful thing for me in saving me, and, and if I were to do the same for others, I know that God would be glorified in that. That is, God, God would be highlighted. The attention would be on Him. And so I think about the description that the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. He says that you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. In other words, when I obeyed the gospel, yeah, I was freed from sin and all of that, but at the same time, I was committing myself to service to the Lord. He bought me. I've become His. And so since I'm His, the things that I do, whether that is the job that I have or my recreational activities or whatever it is that I do, even in all of my relationships, what I'm striving to be is that person who in those interactions is always pointing to Jesus, is always bringing glory and honor to the Lord. I'm going to be motivated to save others, not, not because that's going to make me famous or I'm going to get a pat on the back. It's simply because when I'm a part of that, then God is glorified in it. And then, I don't want to say it's a selfish motivation, but honestly, the very first person that I think about in terms of being saved would be myself. I want to be saved, though, not just so that I can reap a reward, right? I want to be saved so that God can use me to save others. I think that's the import of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, where Paul stresses the fact there to Timothy that we're not just saving ourselves, but also those who hear you. So I'm striving to obey the gospel myself, but those who hear what I have to say, the idea is that I should be contagious. The things that I say in regard to the gospel itself ought to be able to impact the other as a result of what's happened to me. So those are some things that can kind of motivate me toward reaching the lost in terms of my preparation, but those are spiritual things. I mentioned the idea of really the sense of, of my commitment to it. You know, what, what is it that, that is long-term with me? And I realized that part of that has to do with the good works in regard to God's kingdom that I'm aspiring to do. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 says that that is something that we're striving for, the accomplishment of those good works. What would be a, what would be a good work in that regard? Well, for one thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. Paul, I think kind of generalizes where we ought to be in terms of our work in the Lord, spiritually, what, what my commitment area ought to be. Paul says, well, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, neither he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's field. You're God's building. In the kingdom of God, there are planters and there are waterers. And it might be that in some ways you see yourself as both. Or maybe it is, you know what, you're good at teaching others, but you know, maybe your forte isn't necessarily building them up or equipping them. It could be you're not so good initiating a work but, boy, you're really good at encouraging and building people up. Well, you don't have to be both. You know, you don't, you don't have to accomplish everything in your work for the Lord. But there ought to be something that you do, either in terms of establishing the truth in somebody or generally building up a church, planting the seed, if you will, even harvesting that seed to some degree. Or, if that's not my thing, I certainly need to be an encourager or a force within the body that keeps a work going. 
Paul, when he saw himself, said, you know what, I I recognize, while it may be true that maybe there's a little bit of both in all of us, the fact is, Paul says, you know, I was a planner. And you can see that. Paul goes on these missionary tours and he establishes a congregation. He plants seeds and he gets that thing going. And he said, you know, this guy, Paulus, his forte is when he's actually located in a place and builds a work up and encourages it. He says, the thing is, don't look at me or don't look at Apollos and say, they're the best. Because we're working together in this. It takes all of us working together for the good of God's kingdom. So whether it is that we're planting or whether we're watering, says, look, God will give the reward according to the work that is done. You just set your mind on the work at hand. Set my mind to be devoted to the task that God has given me to do. So if I want to do that, then I'm going to equip myself. I'm going to get ready for that work. and I'm going to go out there and do it. But here's the thing. So I, I, I mentally, I, I set myself for that work. But spiritually, you understand that Satan is not anxious for you to be successful in any of these ways, whether it is the planting of the seed or the building up of the church, whether it is the distribution of the gospel because you love somebody or because you feel a great passion for your community. Satan doesn't want that accomplished. So spiritually, we have to prepare ourselves for a fight that's taking place. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, he says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay, so I say, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I, I'm prepared. But are you prepared? We, we might be prepared when, when we're with others, or we might be prepared when we sign up for a particular work, but th- this isn't just a, a sporadic endeavor. This is something that we have committed ourselves to as a disciple of Jesus. So that means I'm not just periodically putting on my Christian wares, but that I have the intent of every single day committing myself to spiritual discernment and the application of the things of God so that I am ready, not just to reach out to people, but to serve as a defense if you will, against the wiles of the devil that are constantly assaulting those who are trying to serve God uh, to his glory. Now, that leads us to the idea that, okay, so I have this, I have this mindset, the spiritual mindset, I'm, I'm going to reach out to these people, I'm going to be motivated, and driven by something within me, and then I'm devoted in the sense that, yeah, I have a work to do, and I want to protect myself and, and be surrounded with the panoply of God. But as I'm going about doing that, you know, can actually, even if I don't speak to a particular person or I interact with them as I would like to. Still, there are ways in which the life that I'm living or the activities that I'm involved in are influencing them anyway. And so I need to be prepared in the sense spiritually that I'm always going to be on alert. I'm always going to be living as I ought to live because I never know who is watching. Now, some people, when they've obeyed the gospel... They have a past. You know, they, they probably lingered for a long time, didn't want to obey the gospel because of the past that they had. And maybe someone had to convince them, you know what, the Lord, he's going to wash your sins away. And 
their past is such that it's just hard for them to imagine God's actually going to forgive them. And so even though there is the desire to become a Christian, spiritually, they're just uncertain. The Apostle Paul addressed that one time in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. He said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. A pattern for those who are going to believe on him for how long? For everlasting life. What kind of pattern are you, Paul? Well, let me tell you, I was a bad guy. I was as bad as they come. But the Lord called me to preach. Now, anybody, anybody with a condescending, self-righteous attitude will look at that and say, he could never do that. You know, that's okay if he wants to, to call himself a Christian, but his past is such that he could never shine for the Lord. You know what? That, that is the devil talking right there, because that is not true. No matter what my past if God forgives my sins, you know what? They're forgiven. And Paul says, I stand as an example of what the grace of God, the gift of God, of salvation can do in the life of a sinner. And by the way, he says, let's just, you know, this is no competition, but I'll just lay it out there. You're looking at the chief of sinners right here. So as the chief of sinners, the very worst of the lot, understand that if God could do this with me, if Jesus could wash my sins away, he can do the same with you. Who is it that is a great example for the Lord? You know what? That person who grew up in the church and was always called, you know, goody two-shoes, and then they obeyed the gospel. They became a, uh, 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 a faithful Christian, and they lived their life to the fullest, all the way to the end, always faithful to the Lord. Great! You're a great example. But you know who else is a great example? That person who lived the most perverse life, but learned the truth, obeyed the gospel, and had their sins washed away. Because what that shows is the tremendous power of God. No matter what, there is hope for anybody through the blood of Jesus. That blood is so powerful that it can wash any sin away. So Paul, later, as he's looking at Timothy, he says, okay, now Timothy, here's the thing about you. I know that you're young. You know, maybe you don't have this much experience and, and people look at you and, and they're like, well, he hasn't really lived yet. But Timothy, understand this, that when they look at you and they're going to look at you, you make sure that your life at that moment is worthy of emulation. First Timothy 4 verse 12. Don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. I, I don't know when they're going to be looking, but when they're looking, you be those things. The problem is that when Christians are on display, when somebody's identified you as that, they're looking for chinks in the armor. They're looking for mistakes. Let's be certain that we take the encouragement, especially in these passages from Paul, to realize that no matter what was behind us, we're still striving for excellence. I've got to prepare myself spiritually. When Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he talked about being salt and light in this world, okay? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. 
A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let us all have the mind to be better and to prepare ourselves. The first place we've got to, got to, to look is, is inwardly, to, to prepare ourselves spiritually. But the second thing that we have to do is prepare ourselves mentally. I've got to have the right mind about what I'm doing. And the only way to have the right mind about it is to get into the thing that directs our mind or changes our mind. And that is the Word of God. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I want to be free, and he says the truth will do that, but tell me something about the truth. Well, not just the truth sitting on a shelf in your house that you never attend to, but it's the idea of abiding in that truth. And to abide in it means I live in it. I'm living in the Word, but you can't live in the Word if you're not reading the Word, if you're not ingesting the Word. Now, whether you're reading it or you're listening to it, the whole idea here is that you are feeding your spiritual self, you're feeding your mentality so that you can know what the Word of God says. That's important because the Word of God in its original sense, it is pure. But you know and I know that there are people who mishandle the Word of God. We've got to know the difference. I was driving through the country one time, and maybe you've seen these places. You know those, uh, usually at somebody's house, and then out front, they've got a lot of their wares, people that work in wrought iron. You ever seen, I'll be driving down through the country, all of a sudden I'll see this place. All these figures and uh, stuff. Somebody's been bending this metal and it just looks great. But I saw this place one time. This guy had all this wrought iron out for display in the front yard, but he had this catchy sign. It said, a lot of turning and twisting done here. I thought, (laughs) you know, that's great as an advertisement for somebody who works in wrought iron, but... That's also something that some religious folks could hang out as a shingle on the front of their establishments. Come on in, because there's a lot of turning and twisting done here. How would you know the difference? How would you know if the Word of God is being turned and twisted? The only way to know is to first know the original source, to know what God's Word is to begin with. And then it becomes just a matter of comparison. Does this truly match what the Word of God says? That was so important. I mean, I'm talking about the handling of the Word of God. That when Paul and Timothy were talking about the future, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, and the things which you have heard of me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, Paul is saying, in a nutshell, hey, Timothy, you know the pure word of God that I've been preaching? And by the way, Paul had received that, according to Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, by revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know how how it could have gotten any more pure, right? Timothy... I've received the Word of God from Jesus Christ Himself. And so what you've heard me say, that which I had received from Jesus, the pure gospel, you take that and then you, I'm counting on you to take that pure, unadulterated truth. Then you share that with somebody who's faithful. Now, faithful means they're not going to turn and twist it either. They're going to hang on to the unadulterated, unchanged truth. And then they're going to give it to another. The idea is, Timothy, what you receive from me, you share that with a faithful uh, person. And then they share it with a faithful. And then the next faithful and the next faithful. And then by the time it gets to Ken, 
some how many ever generations later, then he is supposed to be responsible as well for preaching the unadulterated truth. Now that's heavy. But if I'm going to really know what God wants me to do, I've got to handle the truth, whether it lines up with what I want it to be or not. No turning and twisting done here. A little bit later, in verse 15, Paul is stressing here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 the importance of digging into that word. You want to know what it means, you've got to dig into it. Study or be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Give the sense of it, but give the true sense of it. No manipulation, no coming to the source with your own preconceived idea, looking for something to back up what you think, but letting the word of God speak and then simply speaking it in turn as a faithful vessel of the word. Okay, so I want to be committed to that word, but also understand that part of of my preparedness mentally is going to be, not only do I understand that is God's word, but God's word is, it is powerful. Now here's, here's the delicate thing. God's word is powerful all by itself. And the problem that we face is that I don't want to get in the way of the power of that word. I read one time that if a preacher comes across as boring, that's the preacher's fault. Because God's word is not boring. God's word is full of power, life-changing power. If, if you are ever bored with what I have to say, I, I, as deeply as I can say it, am sorry. Because what has happened there is I have somehow interjected myself and slowed down or gummed up the work of God. God's word is not like that at all. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner. Now, to discern something is the sense of wisdom. I'm digging in it to understand it. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Not just what I think, but what I intend to do. God's Word just cuts right to the quick of every one of us. We stand in judgment every time we open that book. Hopefully, it is a favorable judgment. But every time we open that book and we expose ourselves to the Word of God, there is the risk that we find something amiss. And when we do, God's Word is going to cut and dig at it. The Word of God is powerful in tearing down any argument put against it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and following. For though we walk according to the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God's Word brings it down. <laughs> you know, you, you, can, you can present any kind of argument that you want, but ultimately, the Word of God, just it dissolves those things that are in opposition to it. Well, as is the case so many times, I have so much more to say <laughs> because this subject just has very little boundary to it. It is so abundant. But I want to leave this idea with you. You, you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. And as a soldier of Jesus Christ, you are responsible to one, and that is Jesus. You are supposed to be working and living and abiding in that word to such a degree that you are pleasing him who enlisted you as a soldier. 
So it behooves all of us that we get prepared. We do what's necessary to be spiritually prepared, and that has to do with the inner workings of ourselves, our motivations, our commitments, the example that we lead. And it also has to do with mental preparedness of learning the Word of God and making application of it and then being able to use it in order to disciple others. Let's pray together and then we'll be finished. And afterward, we'll let the parents go 15, 20 seconds and then the rest of us can disperse. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for privilege that we have in the middle of the week to come together and to study your word. And Lord, I, I pray that your word's effective in us. Help us not just to sit back and hear what's said, but let's really analyze it and to make its application in us. And so far in our series, we know the importance of being a disciple and, and seeking disciples. But Lord, help us in these initial stages to really get ourselves prepared for the work that's ahead of us, a lifetime of work. And to be as prepared as disciples of yours as we can possibly be so that we can really make good use of all that you've invested in us. Lord, forgive us. If, if there's baggage from the past and give us confidence as we go forward. And Lord, if you'll grant us another day, another week, months, years, I pray we'll use every second of that to bring success to your kingdom and glory to you. Thank you for the privilege of being a child of yours. In Jesus' name, amen.